All right, so Hebrews 6, uh, verse 19 through 7, chapter 7, verse 28. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take, tithe, to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor, When Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them.
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The Bible says that all men are like grass and that all man's glory is like the flower of the field and that grass withers and flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. And uh, let me pray for us before we talk about it more tonight. Heavenly Father, we, we stop and we, after we've read a, a long passage and a hard passage, and we feel, I think, I feel very keenly that we need you to help. Father, we profess that these are your words, and you say your words stand forever, so would you, would you be their teacher? Would you take these words and open our, our ears and, so that we can hear them and our hearts that we might believe them? And in so doing, would you change us? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, sometime over the summer, I was watching TV and was watching live TV for whatever reason. And uh, because commercials are the worst, right? And there was one commercial... Uh, that I remember you might have seen it. Uh, it was a couple that was cleaning up their house and they, they lift up the, the cushion of the couch and, and they find out pops 90s sitcom star Dave Coulier. Uh, he played um, Joey on Full House, if you don't remember him. Um, and so he pops out and he's dressed you know straight out of the 90s and he does his cut it out routine that's straight out of the 90s. And I can remember thinking as I watched this commercial, I can remember thinking, wow, Dave Coulier must have the best agent in the world. Because there cannot be that many people that as they're working on their commercial, think to themselves, we have got to get Dave Coulier. What's going to bring all this together is cut it out, right? Dave Coulier. Um, he's got to have the best agent in the world because he's got somebody that's out there representing him and they are hustling, right? Whoever that guy or girl is, they are working hard for Dave Coulier. Um, and I thought it, it almost made me want to write him a note. It's like, you do not ever need to get rid of your agent because they are the best in the world. Um, and as strange as it may sound, it's actually a little bit what's going on in this passage, I think. Um, this passage is basically showing us that Jesus is the great high priest. Uh, and a high priest is really nothing more than, than someone that represents you. Someone that speaks on your behalf, just like an agent. And the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is the best agent you can have. 
best representative. Uh, this semester we're going through Hebrews, and our theme every week is better than you can imagine. And you know that we say every week that uh, basically the author of Hebrews is writing to these folks that are tempted to, to give up on Jesus and go back. Go back to their, their Jewish faith. And he writes to them, and the whole, throughout the whole book, basically all he says is, look, you have got to see that Jesus is better than you can imagine. He's way better than you think. You can't go back. And so tonight what I want you to see is that the author is telling us that in Jesus, we have a better high priest. We have the best high priest. And it's really high priest part two and really probably part three. We've looked at these things uh, a number of times already. All right, so we're, I want you to see three things from this passage. And these are, these are bad titles, sorry. Um, the first thing that we're going to see is the need for a new slash old category of priest. So we, the, the need for a, a new or maybe old category of priest. Secondly, we're going to see that the permanent priest covers us. And thirdly, the, the permanent priest cares for us. All right, so first, uh, this new idea of a, uh, a new or really an old idea, category of a high, of a high priest. Uh, and look, as we begin, I want to quote um, a commentator, New Testament scholar, Raymond Brown. This is from his commentary on Hebrews. This is what he says. He says we, about this passage. We have now reached the part of this letter which modern readers sometimes find a little difficult. Thanks, Ray. Right? Like, that's how he started his commentary about like, yeah, I got that, right? So, all right, we're in good company. Um, this passage has a lot. Hebrews has a lot. That's just, frankly, really weird to us. Uh, very foreign to us. Might be hard to understand. And particularly this Melchizedek stuff. So what is that all about? All right, well, you have to keep in mind the context, right? He's writing, he's writing to people that were, they had grown up in the Jewish faith. They were Hebrews, right? That's the title. Um, they worshiped God. They grew up worshiping God through the Old Testament, the Levitical system. Uh, at the temple, through actual priests that would represent them to God. And then they had become Christians and they had been converted and now worship God through Jesus. But now they're tempted to go back to that system of the high priest. And like we just said, the author is saying, no, no, you can't go back to that old system because it just doesn't work. It's just not good enough. And he basically tries to say, look, you need it. You need to think about the priesthood differently. You need a new category. And. It's actually not a new category. It's, it's even older than the Levitical system. And that's this Melchizedek stuff. Look, Melchizedek, Mel, Melchizedek is this, this sort of myster, or very mysterious figure that shows up in Genesis. And he shows up for three verses. And that's it. Three verses in Genesis 14. And then he's gone. And here's the story. So this isn't Abraham, right? Abraham's got a nephew, Lot. And Lot gets kidnapped by this, basically this bad army. 
And so Abraham gathers his own army and goes and gets him back and destroys everybody that gets, you know, gets in his way, all, you know, all the bad guys, allies. And so he takes all their stuff and gets his uh, family back. And as he's coming back, as he's passing by Jerusalem, this Melchizedek guy that the text says was the high priest of God, he comes out and he meets Abraham. And he, he meets him and he gives him God's blessing. And Abraham, in return, uh, he gives him a tenth or a tithe of everything that he had taken in war. And then that's it. He's gone. That's all we see. And nothing's ever mentioned about him again until about a thousand years later. And then David, when David is king, and so now this is at the point when the Levitical priesthood is, is in full swing, right? Worshiping at the temple. And David writes what we call Psalm 110. In Psalm 110, which is the most, most often quoted psalm in the New Testament, it's a messianic psalm, which means it's, it's all about what the, when the Messiah shows up, what it's going to be like, what he's going to be like. And in that psalm, it's quoted in our passage, David says that the Messiah is going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So basically, David picked up on the fact, on the reality, that in some sense there's a problem with the, with the Levite system, with the current priest. It didn't mean that it was bad, right? But, but there's a sense in which it's inadequate because those priests don't go on forever. They're imperfect in a sense. And so David really saw that what we really need is a priest that will never die. One that's infinite. And so that's what this author of Hebrews is trying to show these folks and, and show us. He's using Melchizedek as a type or sort of a symbol for Jesus. Right? Think about how brilliant it is. He's speaking to these Hebrew Old Testament people and he's saying, look, this is actually not, this actually fits with everything that you hold dear and hold true. This is all in your Old Testament. It just even goes further back. And he, he, he points out how Melchizedek, you know, in verse 3, was without father or mother or genealogy. And he sort of parallels that uh, with, uh, with Jesus. And now look, just in case you're wondering, it's not that Melchizedek was this supernatural figure that never, uh, was never birthed and never died. It's just that that's never recorded in Genesis. And, and that's recorded about really anybody important in Genesis. You get their genealogy and where they came from and who they are. Um, and, he's, and he's trying to show them, right? He, he walks them through it and says, look, you could even say that the Levites, because they came from Abraham, that they even paid tribute, paid their tithe to the great high priest Melchizedek, the one that went on forever. Because they were in the, uh, they were descendants of Abraham. And so you see what he's trying to say. Look, you've got to think about this different. It doesn't even make sense to go back to these priests because they don't cut it. There's a new system. The old is outdated. Right? It would be like, it would be like if you tried to go back to, um, to run Windows 98 on your computer. Or try to run iOS you know, 2 on your phone. If you've got an iPhone. 
Right? It's just not going to work. You can try it, but it's not going to work. Why? Because it's just outdated. That system is just old and done with. It's just inadequate. And that's what he's saying here. Um, the, the Old Testament, or the, the Levitical system, it just couldn't provide perfection. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, verse 18 and 19, it says, For on the one hand, uh, the former, a former commandment set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. All right. Enough with the uh, sort of you know, nerdy seminary stuff. What does that mean for us? How do we apply it? Because I'm guessing not many of you, maybe none of you, are really wrestling every day. Like, I'm really tempted to, you know, worship through this priest, through this Levitical system. It's probably not your struggle. Um, But, even though that's not our struggle, our struggle really is still the same. Because we all want to be represented well to God. Right? Right? I would even suggest, right, even if you're not a believer and you're not like, I don't even think there's a God, I would bet that at least you want to represent yourself well to other people. You want other people to think well of you and and receive you and love you and accept you. And we don't have time to get into it, but I would suggest that that's even a, that even has its traces back because of the fact that you're made in God's image and other things. But but look, if you are a Christian or, or if you're just religious, You want to be represented well to God. We we want Him to accept us and to think well of us. And so we don't struggle with with a priest representing us in that regard. But actually our struggle might in a sense even be worse. We want to represent ourselves. That's our struggle. At least a lot of times. Um, but the problem's still the same. We're, we're finite. We're imperfect. But it's so tempting. If, if, if you're like me, it's so tempting to want to represent yourself. Um, to cobble together what, whatever it is. To put your best foot forward before God. Right? right? Think about it like, a, um, like going to the career fair. Right? You get your resume together. You get everything together. I want, I want, I want the best. Put my best self forward. And so what does it look like for you, right? We, maybe we, you tend to, to get all of your righteousness together. And what you want God to see of you is that I'm one of those people. I don't say those words that other people say. I don't talk like other people. I, I, don't, um, I don't party like other people. I don't sleep around or, or handle my sexuality like other people. I'm better than that. Or uh, I, I read my Bible regularly. I go to RUF. I go to, I go to four Bible studies. I give away my money. I evangelize. Right? And we try to gather it up and have that represent us to God. Or maybe we're tempted to bring our sacrifices to God. To represent us in a sense. Right? The sacrifices of our hard work. Look what I'm doing for you. But if we're honest with ourselves, right, even our best efforts are imperfect. Even our best, uh, even our righteousness is, even our, 
not even our best moments are going to cover over or take away our guilt for the things that we've done. And they certainly can't stand before a, a truly holy God. And so even you and I need a, a new category of priest. We need to think about this differently. And so that brings us to our second point. Uh, that brings us to the fact, to some good news, that the permanent priest that we do have, the permanent priest covers us. And what we see here is that we really do have good news because Jesus is exactly what we need. He's the perfect high priest because he's permanent. He covers us. He makes us perfect. Uh, look at verse 23. And following, it says the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Verse 27 goes on to tell us that Jesus, as our priest, that he offered up himself as our sacrifice. And that his sacrifice was absolutely perfect. And so he, he covers us in himself, in his perfection. And overall what we get is the picture of him representing us, being our advocate before the Father. It's like he's our attorney before God. In court, so to speak. So think about that. He's always pleading before the Father on your behalf. And now, I think typically the way that we might tend to think of that is that it would go something like this. Um, that, that this is how it would play out. The fact that Jesus is, is your attorney, in a sense, your advocate. Um, that, that something that, that you've done wrong comes before God. And so now we're going to have this uh, there's this allegation against you. And so God, um, God says, you know, it says here that you've done this again. And so what do you say for yourself? How do you plead? And uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, as your representative, says, uh, he pleads guilty, your honor. And God says, all right, well, then we're going to begin with the sentencing. And uh, which uh, he's sort of feels like he's excited about because now I get to drop the hammer down. And, and it's at that moment that Jesus interrupts as your advocate and says, well, all right, wait, 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 wait. I know he did it again or she did it again. And, and she's done it a lot. But she's sorry. And, and I, know you're, I know you'd be right to do this. But... But for my sake, look, because you love me, right? Um, I, I get it. You, you know, you want to take it out on them, but, but I, I kind of like him. He, he's, you know, he's one of mine. And just, look, for, for me, just for my sake, take it easy on him. Let her go this time. And because God is, loves Jesus, he says, all right, okay, this time I'm going to let it go. But next time, right, you're on the hook again. And I want you to see that that's actually not at all what the right picture of Jesus' priesthood is, of him representing us. Because this passage shows us 
that when God stands, when Jesus stands before God in that, in a sense, right, as our representative, that he doesn't represent us in that way. He represents us in justice. That what he pleads on our behalf is not, it's actually not mercy, it's justice. Now look, don't get me wrong. It's infinitely merciful that Jesus represents us. But he doesn't at that point plead for mercy. He pleads for justice. Because of what he's done as high priest. So in other words, it's like, and we're sort of making up this you know, uh, courtroom drama. It's like he says, God, because of what you and I have already done. Right? Because of what you and I have agreed to. Because remember we've said in weeks past, this was God's idea. Because you took every bit of punishment out on me. And because I willingly took it. There's nothing left for him. And now remember what we've done. You see him in me. So when you look at him, you're looking at me. He pleads justice. Justice has been done completely. The price has been paid. It's what we see in Melchizedek. We don't have time to flesh this out. I, I wish we did. Right? He, it talks about how in verse, in verse 2 how he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Um, righteousness, the word for righteousness and the, the root word for justice are, are actually very closely related. Righteousness. He's the king of righteousness and justice. How can both be true? Right? How can you have justice and peace with God? Because we get justice, which we want, right? We want the bad things to be made right. That's going to be trouble for us. But we want peace with God. Well, how can we have peace and justice? The only way it can happen, right, was what you see in Melchizedek. He's both. It's what Psalm 85 says. Psalm 85 talks about how God will cause righteousness and justice to kiss. You see it fleshed out in the New Testament. In the person and work of Jesus, Romans uh, 3.26, God says that he is both the just and the justifier. Those two things can be held together that seemingly can't fit together. They, they come together in Jesus because Jesus represents us and he's the one that took our place. So what does that mean for us? Look, it means that if you trust Jesus... If you're a believer, which just means if you, if, you, if you repent, if you come to him saying, I need you to represent me, it means that you can always know what God thinks about you. Always. No matter what you've done, no matter uh, how you have failed your friends, no matter how you have gossiped or lied, no matter how you have blown it sexually, no matter how you've gotten angry and blown up again, uh, no matter how cold your heart is toward God, uh, no matter that if you come to Him, you can always know that the way God thinks about you. And He thinks about you the exact same. And that's not... Notice that I don't say as I often do, in one sense. That's how I qualify everything. There's no qualification on this. He sees you exactly the same as he sees Jesus. 
Not almost the same. Not it's kind of like that, which is awesome. Exactly the same as Jesus. That's how he views you. That you have his perfection and that he loves you that much. That you are secure. Your love, he, his love for you is as secure as the love within the Trinity. That's amazing. Because Jesus is our representative. Thirdly, and very quickly, I want you to see that the permanent priest, that he cares for us too. Um, Jesus doesn't just plead our case before the Father and, and make sure that our sins are forgiven. Um, it's more than that, right? Again, verse 25, he always lives to make intercession for them, for us. Um, but so it, what it means is that he's continually praying for us also. We see the same in Romans 8.33. Um, a guy named F.F. F. Bruce uh, gives this, uh, I'll give you this quote. It says, if it be asked what form his heavenly intercession takes, What better answer can be given than that he still does for his people at the right hand of God what he did for Peter on earth? This is really brilliant. Um, And he gives us his example, Luke 22, where Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And he go, uh, this commentator goes on to say that um, to give the example of what Jesus prays for his people, for you and I in, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, which is um, things like uh, that the father would keep his people in his name, that he would keep us from the evil one, that he would cause us to have unity, that he would cause us to know his love for us. So in other words, Jesus's intercession is not just a, it's not just judicial, it's pastoral. That Jesus cares about you and is actively praying for you before the Father. Jesus cares about you and is praying for you. And that's great news because Jesus, he knows how to represent our needs to the Father better than we do. Right? Um, you probably know that you're, you're allowed in a court of law, you're allowed to actually represent yourself if you want to. If you don't want to have an attorney, that's fine. Um, it's just a really bad idea. And think about this. It's such a bad idea that the government will actually pay for an attorney for you for you to not represent yourself. Now, why is that? Because you don't know the law. And so in that sense, you actually don't know how to represent your needs. You don't know how to represent yourself as well as you as well as someone else does. It's better to have an attorney, an attorney who's sworn right by their state bar to have your best interest at heart. They know how to they know what you need better than you do. And so, look, if you trust that Jesus If you trust Jesus, then you have a representative who knows you better than you do and who who constantly pleads for you before the Father. And so that has to be an encouraging and comforting truth. Right? To know that 
to know that not just someone, but Jesus is overseeing you and your perseverance in the faith, overseeing your soul, overseeing your circumstances, overseeing everything about you and and pleading before the Father on your behalf. And right, Jesus... Jesus' prayers get answered. And so what that means for us as we, as we end with this application is it means that I think it helps us to understand our circumstances in light of that truth and not the other way around. Does that make sense? We tend to look at our circumstances and, and, and then read into how Jesus feels about us. And understand, well, evidently God is not really for me. Because my family's falling apart. Or my, my life is a wreck. Fill in the blank. But the author of Hebrews is saying, look, hear the truth. Right? These Hebrews were being persecuted for their faith. And that's why they're thinking about ditching this whole thing. And he's saying, look, hear the truth. Don't read your circumstances. Read your circumstances in light of the truth. That you have a high priest that is praying for you and And getting for you what you need, even though it may not feel like what you need. And so it helps us to look at our lives and our circumstances and say, to to begin to try to trust and rest in the truth, that somehow this this is what Jesus has for me. And he knows better than me because he loves me. Because he is my forever priest. Because he represents me forever before the Father. And that's good news. That's the good news that's offered to us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you for appointing us the perfect high priest. Would you help us to to trust in him and to find ourselves in him and not in ourselves? Jesus, we praise you for being our high priest. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.